Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 115th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast now sponsored by the European Union's policy to never update prices. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Single, sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good morning, James. How are you doing this week? Very good, sir. Very good. Are you going to be partaking in any pre-release activities? Uh, no, I don't think so. There was a midnight one last night, but I learned my lesson about those probably six years ago, and it has not gotten any easier to do them. <laughs> uh, Definitely throws off your weekend. Yeah, it, very much so. I remember the last one I did, I wanted to die by about one thirty or 2 o'clock. Um, no, probably not. Probably not. I, it, it looks fun and interesting, but I probably won't make it out. How about you? Yeah, I'm playing two-headed giant with my little brother on uh, Sunday night, so that should be fun. Um, definitely my my favorite way to enjoy pre-releases since it's a format you don't get to play all that often, and uh, one of the ones that I have won the most pre-releases. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would too, I would two-headed giant pre-release. I think there's one store that does them. Uh, if any yeah. of my friends wanted to, but I don't know. They they generally. Uh, you know, they'll do the Saturday pre-release here and then they're just going to pick up product and draft all weekend, especially because they have uh, GP Columbus next weekend. Mm-hmm. So they're more interested in practicing like drafting. Yeah, so. fair enough. I was watch- watching some streamers draft. I, I think that it's interesting that um, you know, I think it's really good that the set is out on on uh, Magic Online right away. Um, but it's interesting that it, it, you know, pulls people in a couple different directions. Um, at the same time, like, are you supposed to be home at, at home watching streamers or are you supposed to be out at the pre-release or is it, you go, you watch the streamer get hyped and then book a pre-release. Uh, I'm hoping it's the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, um, people, okay. people seem to be really excited about this set. Um, I think it's going to be a banner set for wizards. Um, uh, a bit of a comeback. Um, and, Given how well it's being received, uh, my tinfoil hat is firmly in place about the supposed leaks from China. Mm, the that they intentionally told us what was in it. It looking back, if it wasn't intentional, it should have been because uh-huh. it instantly flipped the script from "You're fucking up the 25th anniversary. What are you doing with M25?" to "Oh my god, nostalgia. Dominaria is the best." I mean, they, they couldn't have written a marketing narrative any better. It does seem to have gone very, very well for them. I will give you that. And the thing is, like, this set doesn't doesn't even seem to have, like, much to offer uh, modern and, and legacy and eternal formats, which is a trend that, you know, we predicted and I expect to see continue. This set is all about reinforcing a good standard, hopefully. Um, solid limited play, hopefully. From what I saw last night, it looks solid um it's not blowing my mind or anything but uh and it seems like there's a lot of swinginess in the uncommon slot 
I and I can I saw some sealed pools that looked really bad and some sealed pools that looked utterly busted. So we'll see how that plays out over time. Um, and it's also about, you know, trying to connect the dots between Brawl and Commander and servicing that burgeoning section of the player base. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and on, on that front seems to be doing very well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the fact, just the fact that you're pulling so many, I, I don't want to say stable, but so, so many players who might have taken a step back or were playing less frequently who are now excited to show up and play with Dominaria cards because it's all of these things they recognized before uh, is, is just really going to pump those numbers up. Because not only do you get those players, but they're going to like drag some of their friends back out too. And like even people who don't really care that much are now might be going because their old friend that used to play Magic is going. Yeah. And the thing is like, on the brawl front, some of the early feedback I've heard is that Scarab God is just utterly busted, right? Because mm-hmm. as a commander, you can't use any of the exile effects that were built into the format to deal with it because it just goes back to the command zone. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious whether Scarab God will be the first ban in brawl to see if that format can grow. They might just let it go for now. I'm mean, he probably was, I'm sure, designed before brawl became a thing. Um They'll just kind of let him be annoying because he's only legal in Brawl for three more months, right? Like, doesn't Amonkhet rotate in the fall? Wow, more than three, right? We're only in middle of April. We got May, June, July, August, September. Five months. Yeah, Yeah, but it's five months that nobody really plays Magic anyways. Or at least there's way less players. Like, if there was competitive Brawl, they would definitely care. But it's just people playing at stores. So, I mean, they could. I mean, they could just say, okay, well... Scarab God's out because we designed the format before he showed up. But I feel like the cost of having one commander that's probably a little too strong for this period of time is not that important. It's going to, it's interestingly, Brawl is now available on Magic Online, but not on Arena, <laughs> which, which uh, certainly um, pushes the timeline out for people like me that have been saying that everything's going to switch over to Arena. Um, their utter failure to launch the new format in the new platform suggests that that's going to be a much longer process. Um, All right. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm worried our skills are actually getting dulled because MTG finance is no longer on easy mode. It's now like on autopilot. Uh, I mean, yes. So for our first segment here is, uh, segment one top movers. We've got a lot of cards to cover and I think we trim, I trimmed probably 20 cards out of this list because it was going to be, uh, like 55 cards to talk about. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. (laughs) This is, this is way too many. There are a ton of factors in play right now. Persistent attacks on the reserve list a resurgence in interest in general in the hobby because Dominaria looks good and the impact of that set on both Brawl and Commander. Um, uh, A modern uh, format that, while um, not ultra-interactive, is in as healthy a place as it looks like it possibly could be um, with all sorts of card movement, uh, given what was not reprinted in Iconic Masters and M25 um, and will not be reprinted for another four to six months minimum, if not longer. Um, The masterpieces, um, including Expeditions, 
the Kaladesh inventions and the in, even the invocations from the Amonkhet block all popping off in the, over the last six weeks. Um, tons and tons of things are contributing to, you know, the healthiest MTG finance market we've seen in ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's unreal how much this is going on. Uh, you can basically write about anything and there's such a good chance that it will pop that you're going to look like a genius. Like, it's... Yeah, I actually, I, I even missed one of the other ones, Popper, um, which Brainstorm Brewery recently called the biggest thing to happen to MTG Finance in years. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that statement. Uh, I think that's wildly incorrect, unless you're somebody like Doug, who's holding a ton of bulk, in which case I fully agree. Um, because going, be, being able to go through and pick out like a hundred copies of something that went from a dollar to four dollars is <laughs> that's a good place to be. Um, as long as you got the time and wherewithal to take care of it. Um, but it, there's no denying it's a thing. I've been selling popper foils on eBay, you know, random crap that was sitting around left over from the super collection or from my own collection or just from other smaller collections I bought. Um, you know, <clears throat> going, I have, I keep all my foils in the same place and they're all pre-sleeved. Um, and I've been able to go like go through and pick foils like five times in the last three months and come up with like anywhere from 30 to $150 worth of freshly popped foils. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. It's popper has certainly been churning all of that stuff. Right. And I agree that for people like you and I, and Jason and, uh, Jason and Corbin over on brainstorm, I don't see how they could really be Corbin maybe because I know he runs a case out of a shop or two. Uh, but I don't see how like it would matter that much to Jason. I don't think Jason's working in a way that it would make his life better. Uh, but Doug, absolutely. So like the people making a lot of money on Popper aren't guys like you and I. It's guys like Doug or stores who just have these deep inventory and who benefit from selling play sets of two and three dollar cards um, over and over yeah. and over again. Exactly. I mean, I think that the um, the one thing that is better is, as you said, it's play sets. You know, Popper tends to be a format full of four ofs um, because the card pool is not that deep. So to to put together a synergistic deck, you often need, uh, especially with a lot of like some of the more interesting uh, and high power impact that you get from rares and mythics and so in uncommons. Um, you know, it means that you, you often have to have uh a fairly consistent <laughs> and predictable draw. Um, so you are, as opposed to something like Brawl, where you might be trying to sell, you know, $1 cards into a single copy format, um, at least here you're selling fours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still not something I want to be dealing with, given everything else that's going on, but, um, you know, <laughs> not uh, going to shoot a, a gift spec in the mouth, I guess. No, no. It's, and it's, you know, this is partly why we just... It's totally fine as a venue for making money. It's just we haven't I feel like we haven't focused on it as much as maybe other people would have liked us to or they feel annoyed. But it's just because it's more inaccessible as a market for us than like masterpieces. Masterpieces are just like designed for people like you and I to be able to profit on, whereas um, Popper is much harder to make to make it worth our time. Yeah, I mean, I agree that there's significant movement in that segment, but there's no way it touches even gets into the argument about whether it's reserve list or masterpieces that were the best spec of the last year. Yeah. You, you, you'd have to own a store in order for Popper to outpace the dollar per time that you could make on masterpieces or some of these other higher value cards. 
Um, all right, all right, all right. Where are we? Let's. We haven't even talked about our show. Our agenda this week. Uh, we have four segments. Segment one are top movers, cards that have moved the most in price this past week. Not all of them this week because there are too many of the damn things. Segment two are cards to watch, cards James and I think may rise in price in the future. Segment three are metagame we can review. This week it's Grant Prix Hartford. It was a modern GP last weekend. And segment four, topic of the week, we're going to talk about uh, the Moto Redemption having been reduced to only 15 weeks um, and what that means for your Magic cards. Uh, all right, so segment one, our top movers. Uh, let's start off the week. I'm going to talk very briefly. Uh, we have another chunk of masterpieces that moved. This week, they're all uh, invocations from Amonkhet. We saw Omniscience, Worship, Days, Chain Lightning, and Containment Priest all jump. Uh, Omniscience, double, Omniscience doubled from 80 to 160 and Containment Priest from 40 to 120 at the high end for 230% gain. It looks like people basically couldn't find anything else in the inventions or expeditions they liked quite as much. Uh, all that was basically bought up in terms of cards people thought were actually good. Uh, and I think this is people going, well, I think that the invocations may be the worst, the least interesting, the least visually appealing, and the most niche cards but I'm going to try anyways because the prices are still kind of cheap and I think I can get there. Uh, so we'll see. I, at this point, I find it unlikely they will retrace back to their original prices. So even though these are kind of being brute forced, uh, they're still probably going to be profitable. Well, there's, some, there's a couple of interesting factors there, right? Um, a, we know that Amaket block was taken out of uh, off the printer off the printing presses earlier than it would normally be. Um, that's been reported. So if that's true, that means there's less of this product than there might have otherwise bit have been. Um, people aren't going to be running out to buy these boxes, searching for invocations, I don't think anytime soon, because there are bigger priorities with uh, the inventions in Kaladesh and, and Battle for Zendikar um, with the expeditions. If, you, if you're going to buy a box looking for a lottery ticket, this will be your third choice. So... Um, there's that. There's also the fact that like people are deeply divided on whether these things are ugly or amazing. Um, you know, most people I talk to seem to agree on ugly, but I've heard plenty of people say the, uh, the opposite. Um, there, there's also, there's also the fact that there, there are great cards in the set that, that feature fantastic art. Like for instance, if I had to pick one of those five to definitely not retrace it's days, the days in person, I saw one the other day, um, stunning art like that play mat is gorgeous and makes has made me wish many times that that this the frames on the invocations had been full art um with a subtle border and really had let the the art on these things shine yeah that was such a mistake i don't the border idea is cool uh but the art on these has just been so impressive across the board and then to just lose it in these such constrictive and distracting frames is, is unfortunate. I would like to see them like revisit this artwork or make use of it later on. You know, maybe they'll do um like a box set or something like that with its masterpieces revisited or something like that and use the same artwork, but keep uh, new frames. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I threw, to, threw together some mock-ups when this was all coming. When, when I first saw this frame, first of all, I thought it was a joke. Um, and promptly put together some mock-ups to attempt to correct it. Proxy guys done that. Other people have taken a stab at it. And though I had issues with everybody's, including mine, um, 
they were all just better. <laughs> Made better use of the art, uh, created a, a subtler effect. And, and the fact that like every time I go to buy these out of a case, if there's even the slightest shadow on the case, I have to ask for them to like move things out of the way or for people to stand somewhere else so that I can read what's what's in front of me. That's just the worst retail experience. Ever. Yeah. As somebody who knows magic cards very well and can s- stop and stand at a case and tell you what basically every card and it does, uh, which is something we can all do, by the way, uh, I cannot see these at all. I'm like, I just see the invocations and they just disappear in a mess of ink in the case. I'm like, okay, I, I there are cards here. I don't know which ones they are. I will have to walk over and look closely if I need to know. Exactly. So I've, I've picked up some invocations here and there, um, not for personal use. Um, although I do, I like the dark, I like the dark ritual and a few of the others. The the art by uh, Titus Lunter on um, Wrath of God is absolutely incredible, um, but presents much better in a larger format. Um, and there's a few others that have caught my eye, days included. Um, but mostly it's because there's going to be an opportunity to flip these things for sure. Yeah, I, I do think that that's correct, that people will make money on these. Uh, because well, I already mean, are and will continue to. Right. And it's like, you know, they're they're a little they're a little messy. Right. But honestly, like if I needed, I would play most of them in my commander decks just because they're different. It doesn't mean I actually think they're better than some of the other versions, but they're, I don't know, distinct. And like, that's kind of good enough, even if I think they might be a little ugly. It's almost like high fashion, right? Like, you know that it's kind of ugly, but that's okay because it's sort of supposed to be. So yeah. so, so these are avant-garde magic cards now? Sort of, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a completely unfair way to describe it. <laughs> Fair. All right. Um, so, so moving into our normal magic cards. Uh, first card of the week is Welding Jar out of Mirrodin Foils, 450 to 950. Uh, this has been in Affinity for a long time, in and out of Affinity since Mirrodin. Uh, it hasn't been that popular lately, I didn't think. Uh, maybe with the Rise of Jund, it's gotten better. This could also be part of the Pauper, Pauper Affinity, maybe. Uh, is Welding Jar in the Matt Nass deck that just won the GP? Um... I don't know. Uh, he was playing KCI, right? Yeah, uh, it might have been. That might be what it was. I forgot that Matt was playing that. Uh, let me see. Uh, no, it's not. So it's not from that. The uh, We do see it in Lantern Control and Affinity, though, and we haven't seen it reprinted in, in a while now. When was the last printing? For Welding Jar? Uh, wasn't that in one of the Modern Masters? It was... No, it's only been in Mirrodin. Ah, that explains it yeah. right there. You're talking about a, what, 12-year-old foil now? Mirrodin was a long time yeah. ago. Was that 15 years? Um, what year did Mirrodin come out? I think it's 2004. Yeah, it sounds about right, yeah, in that ballpark. That's 14-year-old common foil. So, yeah, that's a basically as as rare as a mythic at this point. It is quite old. Um, yeah, so there you go. Probably Affinity. What else do you got? So, Foils of Splinter Twin from Rise of the Eldrazi moving from 20 to 40. Okay. I got I got nothing. Who's buying Splinter Twin? Is this people assuming it's getting unbanned? Uh, I, I'm going to say both. I am not sure why, uh, why you'd be excited to be playing Splinter Twin today. Got me. Legacy? There's a Legacy deck apparently that 5-0'd that... Does not seem to be running the card. 
That's strange. I mean, I let me see if one of the other versions. I mean, is. I guess is yeah, it could just be people who think it might get there, might might get unbanned, but like buying it out. I, I mean, it was an MM15. If it didn't have a reprint, fine. I, I don't know. There's so many better targets yeah, right now, <laughs> including the next one, which was uh, which was one of my picks of the week and has now popped. So hollow one from our devastation foils going from $8 to 16. I actually picked these up at four fifty a piece in a gigantic pile. Um, when it was first revealed and I I'm feeling pretty good about spotting the undervalued spec of the set because hollow one in the Amon kit block dire fleet daredevil in rivals and Amber mocks now, um, in dominaria, um, all look like they're, they're going to make us money. And we're all people, many people felt dubious about most of those, except, I mean, Ambermox obviously was more of a split opinion, but I did retweet to after Ross Miriam and uh, Todd Stevens were on stream last night and 5 0 to league with an Ambermox driven Ismaru Thalia deck in modern, um, that that was exactly the combo I thought was going to make Ambermox useful in yeah, that and format. That, I, I read your tweet about that, and uh, that is really interesting, definitely worth being aware of. Um, so I saw your – was the plan – were they casting Thali on turn one? Was that what was going on? Yes. Was that with two yes, turn one Thalias. <laughs> okay, yes. that's what it was. <laughs> so – but you, but if you play this as like a red and white taxes deck, you can also run Simeon Spirit mm-hmm. Guide and have like all like between four Mox Ambers um, and four Simeon Spirit Guides, you have a relatively reliable turn one Thalia if it's in hand. Yeah, which right? seems extremely obnoxious because then your opponents are going to be a turn behind, right? Like they cannot play their one mana removal spell on turn one if you put Thalia into play on turn one, uh, which then means. Um, <clears throat> That they like they they just can't kill it turn one and then turn two if you like land another the other Thalia or some other Thorn uh call it sphere type effect. Like, ooh, you're gonna lock people out real quick. Is Chromox legal in modern or banned? Legal. Chromox is banned in uh like basically all formats. You asked me this like last week too, didn't you? I swear you were surprised by Chromox's banned status just last week. Yeah, it's banned. So the um, right. So, but in Legacy, you can still use it, um, where you can do where Death and Taxes is even stronger. Um, but you can have basically the turn one was like something that makes white is Maru Mox Amber tap Mox Amber destroy the first Mox Amber where it goes to the graveyard tap that one Thalia. So you've got four power on the board and their first spell costs one more. Mm-hmm. So they're, you basically time walk them and put four power on the board on turn one. Yeah. And I mean, you've got to like finish pretty quick there, I would imagine. Uh, but still pretty nuts. I th- well, you, well, it really hurt. Hurt. The unfair decks have trouble accelerating out of that, right? Like Storm can't go off in that scenario. Like it's going to take forever for them to build up enough resources to get there. Yeah. Storm is screwed, basically. Unless they have exactly the right draw and your hand slows down. And decks like KCI, like anything that's looping stuff, can't because all of the the non-creature components cost too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, so I mean, it's good against the unfair decks. It's a, that's a very good way to describe it. Yeah, well, well, and the format seems heavily skewed in that direction, right? Like it messes with Tron because all of their like little setup pieces that help them assemble Tron, all their little gadgets cost more. Um, it's, I mean, you're gonna have them at 
Because your next play is going to be something like Thalia Heretic, I thought, right? Ideally, yeah. <laughs> and then they're in big trouble. I'm also curious whether you, if you run the white-red version, you can go straight into Eidolon and the Great Revel. Mm-hmm. And really put the herd on. It almost seems counterproductive because like they're not going to cast uh, cast anything because it's going to be... Uh... If, they, if they don't cast anything while well, you've got six power on the table, the game's already a foregone conclusion. That's true. So... Yeah, Amber Mox. Um, I I'm actually hoping that nobody else <laughs> five O's anything with this thing. I want it to go to the floor because I feel super confident that this will at setup shop as a dominant force in at least one archetype in both modern and legacy. Um, and I would love to see the foils hit a local lull before we have a chance to jump in because if it does well in the first modern major modern tournament where it's legal then the foils are going to go to 60 to 80 and sit there forever Mm -hmm. i'm right there with you i'm really hoping that this doesn't go anywhere at the start because i also would like to snag some at like 15 bucks but i need it to uh i need it to not spike immediately a a mythic foil mocks (laughs) that's played as a four Mm -hmm. of doesn't get any better than that spec wise if it ever finds it a could be legal and standard and could be good in standard modern and legacy i i want it to i very much want it to not be good in standard and take and and look like it's on the fringes in modern for a mm-hmm. while yep right there with you uh anyway okay that was hollow one is that what we were talking about <laughs> Yeah, Hollow One has popped. I don't think you actually need to be in a rush to sell this uh, card. This deck is not going anywhere. Um, I don't think it's under any ban pressure for a while. It could, it it could be under ban pressure at some point, but I think it's got some more time um, before it gets there. So next on the list, Goblin Rattlemaster out of Magic 2015. This is the foils moving from nine dollars to nineteen for a hundred percent plus gain. This is people theorizing that goblins will be good enough in modern uh, moving forward. Got a couple new pieces in Dominaria that it didn't have before, um, including what Skirk Prospector and Siege Gang Commander. Yeah, Skirk. Pro- uh, well, Siege Gang's always been legal. Skirk Prospector is a big one. You're also getting Go- Goblin yeah, Chieftain or War Chief or whatever it is. There's yeah. a pretty cool combo that I uh, saw. With um, Fecun- the, the it was Saito Saito it, was, it wasn't Saito's deck, but Saito retweeted one of the other Haruya pros lists because they do that with every new set. Um, but it was Fecundity yep. Goblins, which is Fecundity is an old green enchantment, also from Eighth Edition. That when a creature you control dies, you draw a card. Uh, so you use Skirk Prospector uh, to sack a goblin and make mana, and then you draw from Fecundity. Uh, so you can just sort of chain you know, really cheap goblins like that to just draw a bunch of cards and make a bunch of mana. Uh, and then eventually you can cast, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the goblin storm card, empty the Warrens for four mana and then make like eight or 10 goblins and sack all those to make a bunch of mana. And then you finish off with like probably the, the one mana one that gives your whole team haste. So you basically just play your entire deck. It's kind of a nifty concept that's very capable of down <laughs> at the same time. Like you don't have to combo off, but if you manage to put it together, then you just get to basically goblin combo. Gombo. Was Fecundity was Fecundity was originally from Saga, I believe, and so doesn't have foils from that. So are the eighth edition foils the only ones? Uh, well, let's see. Fecundity is in Urza Saga and Eighth Edition. There are yeah. So there's only one foil. Yeah. Yep. So. 
So uh, those will explode if that deck goes anywhere. Yep. All right. Well, there you go. You heard it. This is my stealth pick of the week is foil for foils. I mean, eighth edition foils are already under pressure. Um, they're not eighth and ninth are not as much uh, in demand as seventh, but they're all they all see pressure because that was a lull in magic sales, especially for core sets. And uh, I believe both seventh and eighth foils are black border. Uh, yes. Yep. They are. Yeah. So those are kind of a big deal if if something happens there. Um, next on the list, we have Memory Jar, the version from From the Vault Relics, where wizards decided to bend the reserve list. Uh, uh, a little bit of a weird hiccup in Magic history. Um, so the Relics version going from $20 to $47 for 125% gain. Uh, I'm not aware of what deck was running the Memory Jar. Was that the silly Matt Nass thing from the other night? Uh, I have no idea. I don't even know if this is from Vintage League. I mean, I, this doesn't seem like it would be. Well, I'm going to phrase that. It, I guess it would be because what else would it be from? Other, I mean, it is a reserveless foil, right? Like it could just be that. Uh, it looks looks like paradoxical outcome <clears throat> has five owed some leagues lately and runs one. I'm assuming it's restricted. It must be restricted in Vintage, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean that's a that's a first year of foils foil, and it's on the reserve list, and so I'm not surprised to see movement. Yeah, no. overall, um, not at all. Uh, then Iker Wells, despite the fact that it was reprinted, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> while on the reserve list, yeah. but you know, never mind, it's still reserve list. Yes, yeah. Uh, next up is Iker Wellspring Mirrodin Besieged foils five and change to about twelve bucks. Um, this was used in Matt Nass's KCI deck. Uh, that's where that's coming from. Only, only the one printing, only the one foil printing, I believe. Actually, let me let me double check that. Uh, yeah, because it was in Commander, and then it's in the new dual deck. But the only foil copy is Mirrodin Besieged. It's a it's a utility artifact. You draw a card whenever it comes into play or leaves play. So if you're sacrificing it, uh, you're basically paying two mana to draw two cards. It's useful in like Commander decks too, as like an uh, you know a cog. Um, overall, just a, a useful card. A four of in the deck that just won the GP, mm-hmm. um, which was, by the way, sold out. That was an 1,800-player GP in Hartford um, that maxed on capacity. And that deck looked busted many times on camera. <laughs> and I have sold uh, a couple play sets of foil KCIs that we brought bought in Europe last summer. Um, as a result, the in on those was less than 80. The out was 160+. plus. Um, so... Very nice. Um, please, Matt and Ass, keep doing your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing I like more than brewers. And uh, also, on the topic of Icker Wellspring foils, um, nothing better for your foil specs than having your cards sidetracked into the Commander Fall product stream where it never sees foil printing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, that KCI could, that can, do, uh, can do a lot of work on a lot of different cards if it continues to be good yeah i mean you've got grove of the burn willows that could potentially rebound from iconic masters i believe um scrap trawler foils are probably too cheap i've got a pile of those sitting around because it looked like it was going to be busted and here it is winning a gp um kci foils are in very short supply i just picked up another set in europe with the funds from the first part the first sale um just basically restocking below what i got paid um, because there are still some lying around out there. 
Um, Mox Opal is going to be under a lot of pressure if it doesn't see a reprint this year, and that could easily be a $100 plus card in modern. Mm, yeah, for sure, for sure. That is going to need a reprint real soon. I sold all of uh, all of mine sold at like <laughs> recently. I don't remember the number they went for, but it was pretty high. Uh, so those are moving. I mean, it's already basically almost $100. Like it's borderline... We've seen sales above 100 recently. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's in as a four of in every busted artifact deck in the format, whether or not it's whether it's aggro on the affinity side or combo control um, on the bridge side or in the KCI build. A, a strong case can be made that this deck, this card is too strong for modern. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been questionable the entire time, right? Like, it's never been a clearly safe card. It's always been like, should this be legal? Eh, it hasn't been too bad lately, so we can probably let it go. There's also Inventor's Fair foils that were on our list a while back, showing up as a three of in this deck, and Etherhub foils, um, which makes me... I've seen, like, you'd think, well, Energy isn't doesn't have enough support to see play in other formats. Um, but Etherhub has popped up in a bunch of modern decks. And there are Russian foil promos out there for like 10 bucks a piece. So I'm going to take another look at those. I'm a little confused. Like, is that showing up in Affinity? Uh, let's see who all is playing it recently. Just because I can see like lands playing it because they bounce it with the uh, the crew lands, but it seems odd that Affinity would go that way. I would think they just play like City of Brass. It looks like the primal tight the primeval Titan deck uh, because it can bounce it too runs two copies. Mm-hmm. Um, and KCI is the other major modern deck. Okay, oh, KCI runs it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the, okay. K- the KCI deck is running two copies as well. So, I mean, definitely, I think I'm definitely going to bite on some of the ru- the Russian foils and because if these decks find a use for it, others will in the future. And telling your Russian foil promos are <laughs> are extremely rare cards. They There's always five or six vendors selling them on eBay. Many people in the U.S. miss it if they set their filters to be U.S. only because they want to get super fast shipping or don't trust overseas vendors. And, you know, you're you are missing out on deals if you are filtering out Russian vendors. I have never had a package not arrive. They're always reasonably prompt. I get it within two to three weeks, which is fine for international shipping. And most of these things are not, you're not in a rush to flip anyway. And Mm. they have really good inventory at very reasonable prices. And if you combine shipping with these guys, then it really starts to get attractive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're buying on eBay, you should have no fear because eBay has the buyers back 110%. Exactly. Uh, so you selling on eBay is a whole other story, but buying on eBay, you should just buy without fear because you will not lose your money. Speaking of which, I dodged another bullet. Um, <clears throat> had another, it's like the fourth claim of the year. Somebody saying they didn't get their card and then they misplaced it. <laughs> oh. And it was another masterpiece. So I was so certain as I have been in each of the other circumstances that they were trying to scam me, but I think they were all just... Uh, mistaken innocently really so like he he had he left it he left the complaint sitting for like nine days and then popped up and said oh i got it wow i mean so still a lot batting of people, a thousand 
a lot of people are just sort of dumb and clueless. So I suppose he could have been too. It's not unreasonable to think people would just be like that. Well, every time I escape one of these, it just reinforces the plain white envelope model. You know, suck suck up the damage from the occasional problem and you're going to save tons on shipping. Uh, That's definitely only appropriate for people who live in Canada where shipping anything above a plain white envelope is 20 bucks. If you live in America, don't do that. Pay the 250 and ship it with tracking if you're sending a $150 card. I don't know. I think your math would still work out better. I mean, it, obviously, it's much better for me than it is and, it, and more necessary than it is for you. But I'm curious whether if you did a three month stint, whether you'd have a single problem. Uh, you might not. And I'm not even going to tell you that the math wouldn't work out. It's more that the for most people listening, I think the hammer of having a card like that disappear uh, especially if it's kind of early, the variance is going to hurt too much, basically. Um, unless you are doing enough that you can, that the math has enough time to work out. Does that make sense? Like somebody, somebody, I, I, I guess what I, would, what I would argue is that the percentage chance that you're going to have a problem is not higher because you're doing less volume. I understand that psychologically, the impact is greater if it happens early on, but there's no reason to believe that it will. Um, especially if you you start operating on relatively low value specs, you send out a twenty dollar card, you know, here and there, the the odds that somebody's going to say it wasn't received, especially because you're in the U.S. Like from Canada, because I have my shipping takes a few days longer, um, you know, I'm hanging out there uh, against my my delivery limit um, a little harder, so it's a little trickier. But you know, U.S. mail is what two three days max. Uh, Even like basic. east to west coast is probably about four if they don't screw up. I sent it to, Col- to Colorado from New York, which is really not that far, and it took like nine days. So there are glitches for sure. Hmm. So next on the list, we've got Tashar Ancestor's Apostle. Certainly one of the dominaria cards that's caught my eye. This is the legendary bird cleric, two two for uh, three and a white. Flying, whenever you cast a historic spell, and remember that's anything that's artifact, legendary, or a saga. (laughs) Good luck explaining that to people down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, That's basically like a scrap trawler, right? Uh, Similar. There are other cards that do that have that type of effect as well. The like repeated reanimation. It's interesting because it's, I think that there's three types of cards that can trigger it, but you can only get back creatures. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. Historic is kind of a mess. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm baffled by the fact that they think that their big win here was that they put a little tiny dividing line between flavor text and regular text, which has got to be like 17th on the list of things that people need explanation on at their first night mm-hmm. of magic. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the historic conversation will take significantly more time. Yeah, that is. Uh... Especially, si- especially since legendary uh, spells are different than legendary creatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you know it's, it's kind of a total mess. Very odd that they would have chosen to go this direction. Just because it's like, uh, it's going to be hard to but, keep track of that crap. But this card is interesting because... Um, you know, a scrap trawler, whatever it is you're looping, can whatever goes to the graveyard can only get something back that costs less. But this is just three or less, which sets up whatever combo nonsense you're trying to pull off much better in, in, in terms of you not having to have a mm-hmm. specific order of events, right? Um, 
so I'm I'm curious what will happen with this card. Um, the move on this was in the non-foils just from like $2 to 4 That's just people liking the card. That means nothing. But I would definitely have my eye on this for something like Commander long-term for foils. Yes, yeah. And this could pop up in other places too. I wouldn't be surprised to see this make a go of it in standard because you could set up poss- maybe infinite combos and even if not infinite combos, very good value engines that just keep recurring. Um, so the card certainly has uh, a chance. If you do see it pop up in standard, it's probably not this that necessarily spikes in price, but it, but something else that combos with it. If there's like a, a key mythic that's a four out type of thing um, that, you know, that's, that's a, that's the possibility there. And we know we know that decks of this nature, these sort of recursive value decks, uh, have done very well in standard in the past, both uh, on the tournament scene and price-wise. Uh, it's, it's a deck archetype that's come into standard. So certainly within the realm of possibility. In modern, it's pretty fragile and it's a four drop. But if you're like noble hierarching into it on turn three and then casting Mox Amber to bring something back. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like there's potential there. I mean, somebody, at very least, is going to show up in a Saffron Brew. (laughs) Uh, Yes, almost definitely. All right, so next on the list, we got Stone Rains. We've seen multiple versions of these foils moving recently. This is the 8th edition foils moving from $1 to $3. This is because Ponza has been moving. We also see the 7th edition uh, versions move from 6 to, in theory, 60 plus this week um, for a 900% gain. I actually have one of those sitting around from the Super Collection, so I guess it's time to post that. Um, next on the list, we have Dream Halls from Stronghold. This is a reserve list card that people have mentioned many times as something that might pop off. And here we have it going from 10 to almost 30 for 180% gain. Even if it holds half of that, people have made some decent money. I would love Dream Halls to stick just because I bought a pile of them in like 2011 because uh, it was being played in the omniscient stack at the time. It never went anywhere, and I was bummed about it, and I never sold them because I was angry. And also because it's reserve list, and I know I didn't need to. And hey, now they're $30, so maybe I'll get lucky. The credit offer from buy list right now is like 22 so you've already got a solid out if you want it. Woo, we got there. I earned it. Uh, next on the list, we have Shefet Dunes from Hour of Devastation, foils moving from $1.50 to 5 was that because the modern deck ran Chef at Dunes recently? Uh, it c- could be. I seem to remember seeing it pop up somewhere weird. Uh, yeah, this is the white land that if you sac- yeah. pay for a sack of desert creatures you control, get 1-1. One, one. Yeah, apparently it is being run in uh, Eldrazi and Taxes decks in modern. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sacrifice the desert, creatures you control... You get plus one plus one till end of turn. So I guess this like gives you just the combat edge that you need. Well, they they're and, like, and, and, and oh the other oh I know what it is. It's, it's also a dual land. Yeah. yeah, it's a dual land. Yeah, that's smart in that build. So it has nothing to do with the third ability. That's just gravy. Oh yeah, yeah. So you only use it as a white wastes dual land. Yeah, and then every now and then you might eat it but for the most part it's just a duel you can see it yeah it's similar to similar to when the the pro tour winning blue red eldrazi i believe was running uh shivan reef um for similar reasons because it was essentially a tri land because it made waste blue and red and they needed all of it yeah that that is nifty uh the way that works because you can get the the two colors out of it and i guess every now and then you'll eat the eat it on the third ability to shoot people 
um, where it's relevant. But yeah, the dual land is probably the most important. Uh, after that, River Kelpie from Shadow Moor Foils 5 to 20. We've seen this one pop up a couple times in the past. It's a the blue green beast, or I'm sorry, only blue. This one is the only blue one. Uh, it's got persist, and you draw cards when stuff goes to the graveyard, uh, and when stuff is played from the graveyard. I don't think that there is a particular motivating factor here this week. Um, it's just a shat. It's only been printed in Shadow Moor, and it can draw you a lot of cards in Commander. So I would expect it. No. Hmm? Apparently, it's part of a five zero dredge deck with bridge from below in legacy as a four of oh okay because it's got uh whenever a spell is played from a graveyard draw card and when well has, yeah no well okay so what how do they get this in the play yes, yes. It, it interacts it interacts well with yeah, bridge from they, below they dread re, they dread return it into play yeah wow this deck's crazy that's uh that's a lot of work but I guess it's you can probably go probably lets you draw your entire deck once this is in play. Wow, that's um, tech. I'd be su- surprised if that's better than other dredge versions, but maybe. Oof. I have no idea. I'm not enough of a dredge expert, but I this looks has sick interactions with bridge from below, right? Because when bridge comes out of the graveyard, it triggers, and then when any other permanent goes to the graveyard, it triggers. Uh, yes. Well, bridge doesn't come out of the graveyard. Doesn't? But like, no, bridge stays in the graveyard. So what gets cast out of the graveyard here that it likes? Well, dread return. Uh, you right. can flashback. Oh, cabal, cabal therapy. Cabal, cabal therapy. therapy. Yeah. Oh, and um, dread. Yeah, dread return and cabal therapy are what triggers it. Yeah, there's. I think you can probably get interactions on the other half too. And it has persist. So you it ends up going back oh you can sack it to a dread return and then it immediately comes back yeah <laughs> gross that's cool so you have to cast All the right. first dread return to get it in the play but i guess if you do and then you have absolutely any other action you just go off i guarantee you when we go look at the foils for this on on magic card market in europe we're going to pick them up cheap uh yeah there's probably none because it's a real weird card and the only people that would have owned it before are commander players so I moved from 5 to 20, 300% gain. If it's a 4 of legacy playable that has never been reprinted and is from a set that was underprinted, uh, it's not going to retrace from uh, that. Nope, probably not, especially because commander players like it anyways. So like, there's still latent demand there. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. All right, moving right along. Uh, oh, hey, look, foil fecundities. <laughs> uh, 11 to 45, probably because of that goblin deck that Tamaharu Saito spoiled. Oh, wow. We are so prophetic. <laughs> we <laughs> predicted a thing that had already happened. <laughs> so, I just copy-pasted the damn list, all right? I did not read it before we That's record. Funny. And how dare you think that I do any work or research before this podcast? Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we talked about that card. Uh, Elvish Farmer from Fallen Empires. Fallen Empires. That is a, a name we do not say on this podcast very often. A uh, dollar and a quarter to five and change. And let me get the Oracle text for you on this bad boy. This is a two mana O2 elf. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a spore counter on him. Remove three spore counters to create a one, one sapperling. And probably most importantly, sacrifice the sapperling to gain two life. 
So it is a very slow uh, sapling engine, and, but it does give you a sack outlet to gain two life, which is going to be real important for those slime foot decks because it, not only does it give you a way to, uh, to get rid of it, uh, or a sack engine for slime foot's uh, damage life loss trigger, you also get to gain a bunch of life off of it if you need that too. <laughs> so what are the two black enchantments that, that instantly kill the whole board with the same kind of effect? Uh, I guess I'm not sure. There's a, there's a four casting cost one and a five casting cost one. One is like when you gain oh. life, everybody takes damage. The other one's when you get damaged. You Sanguine bond and uh, exquisite blood. Yeah. Exquisite. There you go. So any two of any one of those plus slime foot is usually game over, right? Uh, it'll do a lot. I don't know. It won't necessarily go infinite, um, but you will get you basically get the double dip on your triggers at least. So it, it hits pretty hard. Yeah. So I just I just picked up some foil river kelpies for like eight euro a piece. Oh, well. Congratulations. <laughs> On easy mode. <laughs> uh, all right. After that, we have Spreading Algae. This is a card that's near and dear to my heart uh, because I really wanted to make this work in Modern a while ago. This is a one mana green enchantment that only enchants swamps. Uh, and then it deals when that land becomes tapped for mana, you destroy it. And then you move it to another move Spreading Algae to another swamp. So it will eat all of your opponent's swamps. Or well, I should say it will eat all the swamps on the board. Uh, it's The foils are $1 to $4. So somebody must have cast this somewhere. I have no idea who and I have no idea where. Uh, but I remember trying to get this to work with Urborg because it makes all land swamps. So... Oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't move to another swamp. It moves to your hand. So you would, ca- you would play Urborg. Then you would cast this on your opponent's land. Whenever they tap it, it gets destroyed. And then you return spray analogy to your hand, so you put it back on their land. So you would just stone rain, you know, it's basically one a turn stone rain type of thing. Um did you uh apparently it's apparently it's a four of mm-hmm. in a eighth place zoo deck that went uh in a SCG modern IQ back in twenty fifteen. Okay, so that's <laughs> not it. <laughs> so so, well, no, zoo, this is still the same zoo deck you see running around. So, zoo could still be running. Uh, but I mean, if that was 2015, like, I'm sure that a deck from 2015 isn't the trigger. So, no. like, someone must have played this no. somewhere, no. I would think. And, unless somebody dragged it out and played it on stream somewhere. Maybe. It. Or it could have just been somebody going to pick up the Condities and was like, you know what? I've always thought this card is cool. There aren't that many. I'm going to grab them a couple myself just, just to have. That's always possible. Sure. Um, okay after that we have tectonic instability from invasion uh, I mean I'm sure I know what this means but I'll look just for you guys this is a red 3 mana enchantment uh, that is whenever a land comes into play tap all lands it's controller controls so that to me sounds very much like a commander card uh, whenever a land comes into play tap all it's lands it's controller controls yeah it's pretty obnoxious so that just basically means that you can't play your land until after you do whatever you're planning on doing. Yeah, and also if your deck was going to be putting several lands into play over the course of a turn, it kind of screw, screws you because like if you're playing like a get rog type of deck, it's going to be a problem. 
Um, I mean, I only see it in 300 decks on EH Rec, so yeah. it doesn't feel like it's triggered. No, but it's an invasion foil, right? Like two and change to $11, and like there aren't going to be any copies. So, I mean, it could be fine. See if I can see any, detect any fresh play pattern for this thing. Mm. No, I would ignore this card and move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tawny Nell from Urza's Destiny foils a dollar and change to nine. This I don't understand because Tawny Nell has been reprinted 80 times. Who possibly needs this card? No, actually. Taunting Elf has only been in Onslaught and Urza's Destiny. Oh, well, I remember the Onslaught one figured it had been in more. Nope. It's a, and it's a popper card. Taunting Elf shows up in popper lists here and there. So I'm guessing that's what's driving us. Uh, you fools. All of you fools. Okay. But I need to get him through something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose in a format that's probably lacking in removal. Lacking in good removal. Well, what it's lacking in is the, is the rare elves that give trample. Well, yeah. I mean, you probably end up with a lot of board stalls because the removal, common removal isn't great. Uh, and then Taunting Elf essentially just lets you alpha strike because they can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't do the, what is it, Azuri? You don't, you don't have a Zuri Renegade leader to get right. through. Yeah. All right. Uh, Warlord's Fury from Dominaria from a dollar to six dollars. I do not even remember what this card does. Uh, Warlord's Fury is the creatures you control gain first strike until end of turn. Draw a card. So I'm going to call that a statistical anomaly. Um, foil prices have not been. Uh, widely priced yet for this set since it's not officially out yet let's just ignore that one and keep going yeah star city has 14 foils at 50 cents so there we go moving along uh let's see fiery justice from um the time shifted copies about five bucks to 30 uh fiery justice is deny a burn spell does all sorts of cool stuff um mostly used in modern zoo uh, yep. because you get to shoot like two or three creatures. Your opponent gains five life, but you don't care if you're going to punch them in the face immediately after. Also has a cool card uh, interaction with Kabu Predator, which is whenever an opponent gains a life, you put a one-one counter on it. So Fiery Justice like shoots two or three guys. They gain five life. You put five counters on Kabu Predator, and then you take that five life back right away with your new 7-7. Seven, seven. Right. All right. Uh, Power Conduit from Mirrodin, the non-foils moving from $0.70 cents to $5. This is because people realize that you can, they can use them to manipulate sagas. Uh, we've already talked about the foil in previous weeks. Stone Range from 7th edition we already mentioned. And the biggest mover of the week was Death Spore Thalid foils from Time Spiral. Moving from $1 to $30 in theory on the assumption that it will be uh, an integral part of Slimefoot decks in EDH. Yep. So, you know, I remember you were dubious of uh slimefoot's ability to move the market uh last week or the week prior and uh he is only one commander but people really like to go after this stuff where they see an opportunity so uh, i don't know if all these death spore cards or slimefoot cards are going to stick uh but certainly plenty of action based on one uncommon commander yeah my, my concern was basically that the total number of legends would dilute people's uh focus but jason was right slimefoot seems to be the one that is taking a big step ahead of the crowd. Well, I think I think the catch there is that there are a lot of command a lot of legends, but most of them aren't interesting generals. Whereas Slimefoot has got some cool stuff going on that the other ones just don't have. Fair. 
Um, all right, let's move on to segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, I think we've both got some interesting cards this week, so uh, why don't you get us started? Um, buy some magic cards, watch them go up instantly, make money. All right, good segment. Moving on. Okay. Segment three. All right, great, moving on. <laughs> um, only slightly more seriously. <laughs> this pick would have been ridiculous to me a year ago, but Tolarian Academy... Um, is at the tipping point and will probably make uh, may go off before I get a chance to write about it. So I'll give it to you here. Um, Tolarian Academy is from Urza Saga. It has never been reprinted. Um, it has no promo versions, no judge versions, no foils. Um, it is one of the most busted lands in the game because it's basically Gaia's Cradle for artifacts and artifacts are much easy, easier to get into play as zero casting cost objects than creatures are. Um, Unfortunately, it is banned in essentially every format, and you get no EDH support because it's banned there too. It's restricted in Vintage, which is the only place that ever plays it. So this move is solely on the back of occasional play and reserveless status collector usefulness in terms of completing sets for Saga, etc. That would not even been close to enough to get me interested uh, a ways back, although I have picked up a couple copies along the way where I thought they were particularly underpriced. And I, but this morning I started picking up both Japanese and English copies everywhere I could get them around 30 because on TCG, copies under 45 are getting scarce and this thing could easily post up to 60 to 80. If it doesn't happen this month, it, I feel very confident it will sometime this year. I would imagine that when you're talking about Tolarian Academy demand, it's got to be almost exclusively the like reserve list collector's appeal, right? I mean, the play pattern on this just seems like it's got to be essentially non-existent compared to people going, oh, well, that's Tolarian Academy, right? Like people got really excited to see, yeah. like see it in the background of art in Dominaria cards. That It, it definitely carries some cachet. Well, and we didn't cover it on this list. I'm, I'm not sure how it, it missed the list this week, but Preacher went from $10 to 90 this week. So I don't know how it didn't end up on our list. I think we must have. No, I did. it was one of the 20 um, cards I pulled off. Sure. So, I mean, and, and that's fair from the perspective of who's even playing this card. But I went, some guy slapped up uh, three for 90 um, near Mint uh, right after that happened. I snapped those right up because, again, nobody's playing that card, but it's not going to retrace two thirds from 90 like people might start reposting them in the like 40 to 50 range but they're not going to start posting them at 1499 um and if they do it'll just be a matter of time before it gets back there anyway because everything from those first four years that qualifies as a rare that sees any amount of play anywhere is under constant pressure so it's almost impossible to go wrong at minimum you're going to get a chance to buy list this stuff out and if that can happen with preacher then Tolarian academy is a much higher profile mm-hmm. card. yeah i completely agree on that uh, certainly set up to to spike. You know, it doesn't have to be well played. It just has to continue being Tolarian Academy. Um, I like your next pick better, though. Walk me through this. Uh, yeah, so this is way outside of my normal operations, but it is hard not to listen to all the chatter. Um, really, all of the unlimited moxes I think are in really good shape right now. So in the last mm, week, two weeks, we've seen like Tabernacle go from like a thousand ish 800 to what 1500 to 2000 somewhere in that ballpark workshop has made a real strong move recently so these are uh extremely powerful the best of the best of the best reserve list cards um that are legal in competitive formats and c play 
uh, and they're making big moves and the Moxes have not corrected yet. So now you can buy a Mox Sapphire uh, for basically the same price that you would pay for a workshop uh, and for way less than a Tabernacle. Now, you could argue that Tabernacle itself sees more play because it's in Legacy and Legacy lands and Workshop sees more play because for every, you know, Mox, for, for every single Mox in a deck list, there can be four Workshops because it's not restricted. But these are the Moxes, right? These are, these are Magic's Legacy that, you know, it's, 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 there's a power nine, but really it's like the power six, right? It's like Black Lotus and the five moxes. Those are the true icons of magic. Uh, and when you can pick up unlimited moxes for less than stuff like Bazaar or, you know, Mishra's Workshop, I think there's a price correction coming. So uh, I, I would not be surprised to see every unlimited mox over 2000 for an LP uh, in pretty short order. Honestly, if you'd asked me prior to today, if they were all 2000, I would have been like, uh, yeah. Probably, I guess. I don't know. That seems doesn't seem like an unreal number. So, uh, yeah, I think you could do really well picking up, negotiating for cheap moxes, grabbing them and hanging on to them because by the end of the year, you could be making $800 to $900 a piece on them. Yeah. Every relevant expert I have talked to in the field, vendors and speculators, feels very similarly. Um, that and because we've seen cycles of targeting, um, it's impossible that the radar doesn't ping on these soon. Um, whether it's a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now, there's no way you're going wrong with these these pickups, especially if they're in particularly nice condition or could be graded after the fact. Um, this is safer to me than the stock market. Um, I hmm. w- whenever people attack MTG Finance and social media, typically out of ignorance. Um, one of their favorite go-tos is that like MTG finance is like little kid stocks or that like some suggestion that investing in collectibles is clearly inferior to investing in the stock market. I would argue quite to the contrary that not only is MTG finance done right, making more money on average than the stock market by a long mile. Like my latest, my la- latest tally for my six month was 46% return with nine months holding. So that's equivalent to something in the mid 60s. Um, for annualized returns that destroys your average stock portfolio especially if you're like just going to your local bank and like letting some idiot there that uses software to make picks for you based on your age put you into a bunch of mutual funds that are going to yield like four to five percent a year Um, or even if you're in a market fund that's going to do more like eight percent per year over some period of time you can easily get caught on the wrong part of a cycle and get destroyed versus the kind of returns we're seeing in MGG finance. And further, there is a lot of big money floating around. Like we just interviewed Brian Ascenti uh, a week ago, 10 days ago, I guess now um, about his $300,000 collection. And he sold the bulk of that in the inside a week. Oh, really? To one, to one person it sold. <laughs> yeah. So there is big money. I mean, not hundreds of millions. It's not like we're talking about a teacher's pension fund, but there there are millions <laughs> backed by some of the biggest vendors or some of the biggest collectors that happen to be wealthy. And that that means that, you know, if, if you're going to point a finger at a collectibles market and say that it's inferior to some other market, typically what you're talking about is liquidity, right? Like, can you get in and out of this thing? So like one of the things I, I worked for clients once that sold um, colored diamonds, and if a diamond is blue, it's worth way more than just a normal diamond. 
And they would call up old ladies and be like, oh, you should own this like blue diamond as an investment. Uh, you know, the mines that make them are going out of business. They, they, they only get like for every like thousand carats of white diamonds, they only get one blue diamond. The problem with diamonds is as an investment, they're not liquid. Once you get your hands on one of those things, it has in theory a market value, but there is no market for it because the market for diamonds is almost entirely controlled by De Beers and their subsidiaries around the world. And they deliberately set up circumstances where there's nowhere to sell your diamond back to. So what are you going to do? Go into a pawn shop and unload your blue diamond for like a fraction of its value? You're going to get killed. And there's no, because there's no like trackable method of appreciation and there's no implicit utility outside of holding the jewel in your hand and and looking at it in the light, it, you know, those are circumstances where, you know, you really are making a foolish decision. But magic is backed by millions of players that regularly rotate their utility intentions through a variety of formats and are collectors by nature. <laughs> so there's nothing little kid about MTG Finance when it's done right. It is at, at minimum smart, the smart buying and selling of collectibles. And when it's done particularly well, it can be a major contributor to your bottom line. Yeah, I don't think anyone <clears throat> who knows anything about magic, uh, that's a big qualifier, would ever say that it's not essentially better than the stock market in terms of like rate of return uh, and that type of thing, right? Like it's very clear you can make a lot more money flipping magic cards uh, up to an extent, the, the issue has just always been scale. It's like it's magic scale. cards don't scale as well as stock markets. You know, if you've got a couple hundred bucks or even a couple thousand dollars, uh, even probably like 30, 50, 100 grand, mag magic finance is still probably a better overall, a better use of your time and effort because uh, you can still work with that. It's just when you hit like, oh, I have $5 million to invest. All right. Now, stock market can probably do better for you um, because trying yeah, to move absolutely. $5 million worth of magic cards regularly is going to be a nightmare. Um, well, I mean, $5, $5 million into magic means you're now a vendor. Right, so, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, even Brian isn't in, in that range and he's, you know, pinnacle of speculation. Yeah. So the, but 99.999% of our listeners are not multimillionaires. So I would argue that they are still, you know, underinvested in the game that they love. And there's a couple of like side notes, right? Like, first of all, we say this in every, <clears throat> the start of every show, but I don't think people necessarily pick up on it. It's not just about making money. It's about saving money. Like I've gone infinite. I can play magic now to, for the rest of my life, never spend another dollar on it out of my day-to-day -day income and play any deck I want, trade into it or buy or, or sell some cards and buy into it anytime I want. I li magic literally costs me $0 and I'm sure you're basically in the same boat. And if you love the game, it also knowing more about the, the finance side forces you to consider things, you know, decks and parts of the for various formats that you wouldn't normally consider and just makes you a better player overall, um, makes your evaluation skills better and lets you, you know, figure out how to get into cards earlier and get out of cards that are peaking sooner and, you know, makes everything cheaper for you. And, you know, the value of that is pretty obvious if you're in heavily invested in the game for a long period of time. Yeah, I it's hard to imagine somebody being a magic player and not caring about this type of stuff. Um, it just seems like you're doing yourself a disservice to even only be mildly aware of it. I have a friend who grinds a GP circuit and 
I remember very vividly when Theros came out and he plunked down $40 for an Elspeth Sons champion, um, like from another player. And I'm like, what? Like you could open, pull up your phone and order this for like $22 right now on TCG player. And it'll be here in three days. But he just like didn't care. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that seems like a really bad way to do this, especially if your goal is to like make your life on magic cards, essentially, right? Like that, that's what you want to do. Uh, but it's, it's definitely worth it for everyone to keep, to keep track of this in some regard. Yeah. I mean, humans are creatures of habit. They're, they're the difference between somebody who is good at MGG finance and just a regular player is how tightly they, um, pay attention to what's going on around them and adhere to patterns of behavior that are beneficial to them. It's very easy to get locked into a cycle. I always go to the same store and buy cards from them and they're nice to me. And if you want to support that store, by all means, but you might be costing yourself 20, 25% a year in the overall cost of your hobby to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not entirely clear that that is your responsibility beyond some basic level of support. So you, everybody's got to decide where they want to fall on the spectrum, but there are a lot of opportunities that are being missed if you decide to just opt out of the financial side of a game, which is inherently financial. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's no way around it. If, you want, if you're playing Magic and ignoring rarity and its impact on the ecosystem, then you know, you're, not, you're only half playing the game. I would, I would even argue that by design, whether intentional or not, the metagame most often ignored that is has been there the entire time is the the marketplace. Like that that is part of Magic the game, whether you like that or not. And if you really hate it, then it might not be the game for you. Go play arena where your money is just in a pit. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> or or bu- or bu- buy an awesome board game for two hundred bucks that you can play yeah. forever. Uh, okay, I have a racquetball match in a little while, so we should keep moving. <laughs> uh, what's your second pick this week? uh let's go back to your moxes just for okay. one second definitely mox buys are awesome um i have a three thousand dollar buy list order heading into card kingdom right now it should be approved monday or tuesday and i expect it to score very highly um and that will leave me with a little over 3300 in credit with them every possibility that i'll be targeting a mox sapphire or something oh, similar with that yeah money. i mean makes sense it, it seems like a good way to go right right now uh i would be Probably much more interested in buying some moxes if I didn't just place a fairly large order for some other cards, but they are certainly on my radar. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is that back when trading culture was a big deal, and this is as recently as like 2014 when I traded into my Lotus in GP New Jersey, um, I had to sacrifice a premium on the floor to get that Lotus. So it was like if the Lotus was worth... 3,000 that day and it went up almost immediately thereafter but let's say it was three grand the morning I was trading um, I was expected to give 3,500 or 3,600 worth of cards to get it and that's simply no longer the case because the whole trading paradigm has shifted there is no premium for for um, power anymore you can just trade into a buy list with your smart specs and up get the 30% trade-in bonus and trade in what to whatever you want with upside because everything is buy list based now Tra- floor trading is go- is like going the way of the dinosaur and and inferior to buy listing to the point where you don't even really need to consider it anymore um so like because you used to trade on the floor to a dealer and you would be proposing a trade right not necessarily getting credit and then using it y- you could say i'll give you all this stuff will you give me that lotus 
and they say to you, well, yeah, but this is, you're going to have to give us this much extra. But in, in the world of online commerce where you just get a credit and they don't dare limit what you spend it on, you're eliminating that problem completely. And, you know, I was looking at the stuff that I sent in in this buy list order and the one before that. And the, the themes are very clear. They're commander cards, conspiracy cards, um, modern staples, and reserve list, and foils that are relevant in EDH. And all of, all of that stuff minus reserve list would have been very tough to get in trade into power not so long ago. And now easy breezy. You can like, you can buy, you know, path of ancestry. Now buy a hundred, 200 copies of path ancestry. They talked about it on a brainstorm brewery. Other people were talking about it recently in social media. It's a card that was a common in all four of the commander sets last year. Um, but the card is almost certainly going to go from $2 to five or six before it ever sees a reprint. And that. <laughs> that's just going to be free money. You, you get a couple hundred copies of that. You're going to buy a list of them later for 30, 40, 50% more than you paid and trade that up into something serious. Mm-hmm. The, the, the ability to turn small cards into cards of uh, considerable value has been a great boon for magic players over the last several years. It didn't exist in the same way prior to that. And those are the circumstances where like buy listing cards that would be hard to sell one at a time is really valuable. Like I've sent, I sent in a ton of Atraxas, some Breas and Vile Smashers in recent buy list orders, which were all fantastic specs, but they're not things that I could have profited on easily one by one because it takes so long to sell them through one by one. They're never place ads because they're commanders. Um, that the buy list is just the slam dunk. If you've got 30 or 40 copies of those cards, then getting it out of them onto a buy list saves you so much time and energy and gets you out so much faster that you know there's, ex- it, it, there's additional percentage points that are might seem ethereal but are very real when you do the math. Yeah. It's a whole new game, and you can do a lot of work with small cards that you couldn't before. Uh, I Yeah, it is... Uh, it is out there for the taking if you're able to position yourself for it. And, and the buy lists are so aggressive right now. Like, like Tolarian Academy on Card Kingdom right now, they're offering $43.90 with the trading credit. But you can pick them up in Europe for low mid-30s. So when your play is arbitrage that's backed by a buy list that will take 20 or 30 copies, you there's zero risk. Like the, you, you cannot argue that something like the stock market is less risky. It is inherently more risky. There are so much more. There's so much more shenanigans that you can be subject to because the stock market is is subject to both microeconomic in the industry in question and the management of the company in question and macroeconomic forces depending on what nonsense Trump pulls in any given week that you can't even compare it to the relatively like linear progression of you know how a card that is reprinted and then sits fallow without a reprint for a while plays out it does seem um considerably less uh i guess resilient as well or should i say it like it i feel like stocks don't rebound in the same way that like magic cards can after bad news like it takes much longer i don't know just seems like it all moves slower i don't know the stock market well but that's the impression that i get i mean the stock market can move super fast but 
like you being in on something or out on something at the right time is much harder. Timing the market <laughs> with stocks is much, much harder than it is with magic because the, the variables in play are, are so much, there are so many more variables and your control over them and visibility on what's actually happening is so much less. So anyway, my next pick, Phantasmal Image foils from mm17 humans isn't going anywhere in modern continues to do well these foils are drying up i think you get in at 12 or 13 dollars you look to exit around 20 slam dunk wham bam thank you ma'am all right that's uh pretty straightforward good news uh a good pick now it got reprinted price dropped and now it's the time to get back in i think that's uh, a wise decision um, my other pick for this week, this is a little less than a pick so much as it is like, hey, you should know about what's going on here. Um, there is now an infinite combo in standard. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, that happens all the time. But this one uses uh, a Planeswalker only, Planeswalker deck only card called Champion of the Trials. It was from the Amonkhet Uh Planeswalker decks, it is a three mana flyer that you can pay two mana to untap a creature if you control mm-hmm. Gideon. Are you sure that's the uh, name of the card? Uh, Champion of the Trial. Let me double check here. Champion of the Trial. Companion of the Trial, sorry. Companion of the Trials. All right. Three, three mana, two, two flyer, pay two, untap a creature, only do it if you control Gideon. But this sets up uh, some combos with uh, basically any land that produces two mana or more, which we have in like Azur's Gateway and Dowsing Dagger are two of the options. Um, normally, I would not bother to talk about infinite combos in standard because, you know, especially if they're kind of three cards and a little clunky. But this is worth being aware of because Companion of the Trial is a planeswalker only card planeswalker deck only which means on tcg player right now there's only like 40 vendors for a essentially i think it's listed as an uncommon right yeah, uh, not uncommon. that not that really matters but may as well be a rare. yeah right but like that's actually really low for a standard quote unquote uncommon and if somebody cracks this and i'm not saying they will but if somebody cracks this like this is going to dry up real fast and i don't know how many of those planeswalker decks are left on the shelf um and this could be the first instance where we see one of these like pre-con or, you know, Planeswalker deck only cards actually become really relevant. And then suddenly the prices skyrocket. Now it's late enough in the cycle that it's not going to be terrible PR for wizards on the Planeswalker deck front because nobody's buying the Amonkhet ones anymore. So it's not like those are suddenly disappearing from the shelves, but it is the first, I think the closest we're, we could come to having seen one of these exclusive cards suddenly spike. Um, and it's definitely, uh, a little more of a sensitive topic right now with the uh, the BioBox promo being an exclusive printing as well. So, uh, you know, these are like 50 cents right now. I'm not telling you to run out and buy them, but kind of keep an eye out on if uh, streamers or whoever like start to look into this because there could be a deck in here. And if it is, this card will move. Yeah, there's I, I'm not 100% clear on what the combo is, but the if it became prevalent in the format. The fact of its limited supply and the inability of dealers to source these um, is going to play heavily into its price tag. Yeah, you have to it uses. Um, you have to have a a. You want to either animate a land that produces mana, uh, or you use the green guy that you can exhaust to untap two lands along with a land that produces additional mana. Okay. Um, 
mines dilation is a card I think in foil I've talked about in the past. I'm now targeting the non-foils. Um, this is out of Eldritch Moon. It's a mythic. Um, foils are already very low supply in the low teens. I think those are a buy for sure to get up over 20. Um, the non-foils can be had in the 250 to $3 range. I think that's easily an 8 to $10 card, given it a year or two. So it's a little bit of a longer horizon, but the perfect kind of thing to stockpile and then buy list later. Um, it's a super busted EDH finisher. It's already in 6,000 decks on EDH rec. Um, easy yeah, I love this card. I have I, not many. I know I bought one for myself. Um, and I, I bought it with the intent like, oh, yeah, this will definitely go up. This is exactly like kind of the bread and butter. butter if you, It used to be the bread and butter of Magic Finance. A little bit less so because things are so much more wild and there's so much more money and stuff uh, in bigger target cards like this. And because things move faster, there's more reprints. It's not quite as exciting, as, as reliable as it was in the past. But these are still uh, about as, as good as you can get for this type of thing. So I'm, I'm on board. If you've got a blue EDH deck and you've got Soul Ring and Mana Crypt and Mana Vault, etc., you could have this in turn on play in play on turn four. And from then on, whenever an opponent casts their first spell of the turn, you flip the top card off their library and cast it without paying for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Busto. It is uh, a pretty ridiculous card. Like all of those commander cards that were printed in standard. It's just like, wow, if you resolve this and they don't remove it, you can't lose the game. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple of bonus picks. I noticed I was buying these in the, in the middle of the night last night because I noticed that supply was drying up uh, and it would have appeared on our list, um, except the list is massively long this week. So Silver and Library uh, Originals from Legends, which is not on the reserve list and has been printed many times, including recently in Eternal Masters. Um, reserve list doesn't even seem to matter anymore. We're now just getting to the point where original printings of cards are worth a lot of money. Um, and... The Sylvan Libraries were targeted in the like $30 to $60 zone, and it looks like it's going to post up over $100. I was buying copies over $100 in the middle of the night, assuming that given enough time, they're going to be $150 to $200. Oh, wow. Um, likewise for Transmute Artifact from Antiquities, this is a card that's already seen growth in the last year, um, but is very much almost exhausted in supply, um, anywhere near a hundred in theory posted up over 200. We'll see how much of that retraces, but I bought every copy I could get my hands on, which was like three or four total, um, that looked either SP plus or near mint, uh, anywhere near 110. Cause there was a 8% eBucks, eBay bucks, uh, coupon last night. So it was just slam dunk. Um, if your local shop has this stuff, um, sitting around, I think those are both okay. guys. Good to know. Good information. At whatever, at whatever reasonable price you can get them. So just buy reserve list cards, I guess, is, is where you're going with this. <laughs> well, well, especially ones that are highly playable. I mean, transmute artifact, <laughs> tutors for any artifact in your deck, um, and Sylvan Library is has proven its value in every format. Right, right, where it's right legal. for sure, for sure. So section three is GP Hartford was a modern tournament uh, where Matt Nass took KCI right to the, the podium. Um, this is the deck that loops through a bunch of artifacts to create infinite uh, mana uh, and then basically kills you with, I think this one is with Pyrite Spell Bomb, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you can also do this with things like, uh, not Hangerback Walker, the other one, Walking Ballista. Um, so pretty uh, interesting to see a fresh combo deck in the top slot. We also had Amulet Titan finishing in second, Boggles in third, Burn in fourth, Affinity in fifth, another Boggles deck, Elves in seventh, and uh, Hollow One in eighth place. 
Um, rounding up the top 16, Blue Moon, Hollow One, Humans, Jund, Living End, Mardu, Pyromancer, Titan Shift, U, Black Blue Turns. That is a super diverse field. Um, Modern still looks plenty healthy. Uh, there was some debate as to whether or not the uh, Krak Clan Ironworks should be banned, but I don't see that happening anytime soon based on just one result. And given that many players are not going to suddenly pivot and play this deck, um, uh, I'm not surprised that I sold through a couple of play sets of foils, but I would expect that to die down unless we see another big result. Yeah, it was really cool to see KCI do well. Uh, I've been wanting, had been interested in a deck in the past. Um, so it's fun to see like, oh yeah, I, I know that deck. I don't think that it's going to take over modern at the moment. Although the scrap trawler does give it some new tools that it didn't have before, including a, like a true infinite combo. It's also a nightmare to play on moto, which means that the deck actually could be way better than we think it is, but nobody can grind it on moto to find out, uh, which is certainly possible. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened. I think that was, it happened with eggs too. Um, there's there's 17 million triggers and it's so super easy to screw yourself over if you do them wrong right yeah and you can demonstrate a loop in paper and then just go okay I'm just going to keep doing this and then you're good but in moto you can't do that uh, so it, it, yeah your, your salty opponents are not going to let you get away with that um, so it, it is cool I don't think that the, the card is going the deck is going to be banned uh, unless it turns out to be secretly amazing um so I wouldn't expect that. Also, some interesting comments I saw from people commenting that they think that modern, all the decks that are doing really well are uninteractive because that's the only way to beat Jason Bloodbraid. It's like if you're trying to play interactive magic, you just lose to those cards. So the only way to go around them is to just not bother to interact, which is an, uh, an interesting sort of second level metagame question. Um, I will leave somebody, leave the decision on that and whether or not that's accurate to people with a lot more data crunching than I have access to or that I'm interested in performing. Yeah. All right. So that's the metagame we can review. Uh, on our topic of the week, we only had a couple of little notes. Uh, it was notable that the schedule for how many weeks you get for any new set on Magic Online to redeem a full set has been drastically reduced yet again. Um, wh- what is it at now? I think Going down to either 16 weeks or 12 weeks or something like that? I believe it was 15. Right. So the the bottom line is this. What people, a lot of people don't realize is that the price of standard cards was held in check uh, in part over the last decade by the ability for vendors to restock them simply by ordering play sets from Magic Online vendors. Um, And because it's so much more, the math on it is so much more reliable than popping boxes. You can be guaranteed to get one of each thing and restock your binders. Um, If halfway through a season, they no longer have that option, then buy list prices in general, and you're in an era where there are no masterpieces in the sets in question, then the masterpieces aren't holding the price of standard staples in check. If standard is popular, then a bad standard is not holding it in check. And Magic Online not... uh, being available as a source of fresh inventory means buy list prices will rise on key staples, which will in turn make standard more expensive. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fallout from this is, is so easy to miss from just a normal player's perspective, but it could, uh, it could have quite a consequence um, in terms of supply, uh, especially like mid season, late season, several weeks after release uh, where you would start to see those sets. I know that um, we've talked about this several times in the past when other news uh, regarding redemption has come up and it's like people probably in aside from people who listen to this cast probably don't realize how much supply is comes from those magic redemptions. Yeah. 
All right. So just the other thing I wanted to mention was that, um, you know, the big question with all the masterpieces popping off lately has been, you know, how much of uh, their new price plateaus will retrace versus hold. Um, so far, they're holding really well. Um, here's a short list of things I sold this week, which is by no means complete. Masterpiece Ether Vials are at 190. Wooded Hills Expedition at 150. Um, Engineered Explosive Masterpieces at 150. Steel Overseer Masterpieces at 80. Engine, uh, Imperial Seal Judge Foils at 180. Planar Bridge Masterpieces at yeah, 90. That one's pretty wild. That is solid, solid work. I mean, that Planar Bridge, I bought at 35 literally last Friday and the next morning sold it for almost a double, well, more mm-hmm. than a double up. Yeah, I got rid of Crucible. I sold a couple of Crucible World. Uh, I think there was a Gauntlet of Power. I don't think I have any Expedition lenses yet. And I don't have a lot listed, but like every Expedition that I have had a copy listed, uh, basically has sold, um, including soul rings in the $300 range. So uh, people are buying these things and it's not like someone's just buying, going through and buying all of them out at once. It's not, you know, it's not speculators. It's like a guy buying one monoball and one soul ring type of thing. So it reads very much like this is a guy who's buying these cards to play with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, vendors may still be picking up cheap copies where they can get them overseas, but most of them are lean are, you know, leaning into selling them, not buying even more. Although multiple listeners have asked me whether they thought Masterpiece Soul Ring was a buy at 300. And I said, slam dunk. Like, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around because I was getting in at 74 last year. But it's entirely possible that it goes from three to five in less than I, a year. It, yeah, I can't tell you that it won't. That doesn't seem impossible. I mean... I mean, based on posted prices right now, you could argue it's almost a yeah. five already. Yeah. Oh. Um, one of the things sure. that, that <laughs> so one of the things that leads me to to wonder is whether the Judge promo soul rings are underpriced right now. Uh I don't know. What are they? Are they like one fifty, one eighty? Yeah, in that range. Yeah. I don't know. People seem to like the expedi- the invention one way more. For what the it's worth, supply is definitely draining on the judge promos, though. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I just, I, it seems like there are people who people generally like the MPS a lot more. Uh, so, I mean, the judge one could be underpriced. Maybe the judge one's supposed to be 250 or something. Mm-hmm. But I know I have had, it, I, I had that, I had a judge one, and I had listed it for. It was, uh, it was up for a little while before someone finally bought it. But the expeditions, you know, the inventions just keep going. So. Real quickly, I know you got to run. What kind of stuff do you have coming over from Europe? Uh, so I have one order that's a very eclectic mix. Uh, contains, oh God, like Razakath and Maelstrom. Uh, shoot, what is it? Maelstrom of Chaos and Foil Blind Obediences, all sorts of odds and ends that have just been hanging out, as well as um, a couple masterpieces. Got a good, good bunch of that stuff floating around too. I have nearly ten a, a, a ten thousand dollar package that's being assembled in the UK um, over the next couple of weeks as things flow in from MKM. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to ship, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe we'll go over that stuff once we've got the stuff in hand. Um, we're, we're, we're probably owe the the site a photo essay or something, and. Uh, That'll be pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. that it's, it's amusing to me that other casts are now talking about how they flew over to Europe to buy a bunch of masterpieces a year after they told us that European arbitrage was unrealistic. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. 
whatever. People uh, people didn't listen. It's not a problem. I bought a bunch of them. Um, okay, but I do have to get out of here. So let's wrap this up. Uh, James, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MDGPrice.com. I've got some some doozies coming up. Okay. Uh, and I'm on, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, right every Monday for MTG Price with the Watchtower series cards to keep an eye on. Uh, and I also do the uh, webcast cartel aristocrats. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, I thought this was a, a fun episode, James. All sorts of interesting stuff to talk about. And uh, actually, I don't know if I'll see you next week. We'll talk about it off air. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. Thanks, Travis. We'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.